Welcome to the Beacon broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com, beaconbaptist.com. The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We continue our study in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And we have devoted a number of broadcasts now to the opening section, which is Christ's petitions for himself. He prays for himself in verses 1 through 5, for his apostles in verses 6 through 19, and for all of his people in verses 20 through 26. And so this prayer, this significant, highly significant prayer, this highly instructive prayer is given in, I I don't know if I can say if it's given in all of its totality because we really don't know if this is a full version or a summary in some places, but we do know that it is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus Christ in the Bible even though we know that he spent hours in prayer with his heavenly Father, we don't know many of the contents of those prayers, virtually none. But this one we do. And so it is given to us for the purpose of our studying it carefully and learning from it, and that's exactly what we are endeavoring to do and will continue to do on this Sunday, January 21, With your presence, thank you for tuning in, and with your financial help, thank you for your consideration. Let me read once again the first five verses. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was." Amazing, amazing the truths that are encapsulated in these five verses, just a short section with so much to say. Well, Christ, as you already know, petitions the Father to bestow glory upon the Son, number one, in relationship to his death upon the cross. The hour has come, the hour of his crucifixion. Glorify the Son, that the Son also may glorify you. And secondly, he asks the Father to glorify him in relationship to his ascension and return to the throne. 
Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And we gave a number of reasons, or I should say we pointed out Christ gave these reasons, but we have called attention to a number of the reasons that Christ used to support his petition. It was the divinely appointed time for this to take place, verse 1. There was the fulfillment of the divinely appointed purpose, namely to glorify the Father and the Father to glorify the Son. There was thirdly the divinely appointed work, that is to save sinners, the work of redemption, the work of salvation, and so forth. And all of this is given as the reason why Christ asks the Father to fulfill these petitions. Now, in that, there is information, there is instruction for us. When we ask God for, what should I say, a request, a favor, a petition, an answer to prayer, we should view it in light of how his answering the prayer in the way that we desire would fulfill a divinely stated purpose. And that, of course, means that we need to know what the Bible says so that we can link our petition to a divinely stated purpose. So it might go something like this. I am sick. I desire to be healed. But why do you desire to be healed? Well, I desire to be healed because I don't like to be sick. Well, of course, nobody does. But do you have a divinely stated purpose for your healing? How about, Lord... This sickness is hindering me from carrying out the work that you have assigned to me. Now, obviously, you have brought the illness, and that has necessitated a change in my activities. If, through this illness, you are indicating to me that you have reassigned me to a different work, because I can't carry on the work, sick, that I was carrying on in good health, If that's your purpose, then, Lord, of course, I submit to it. But if your purpose is for me to return to the work which you assigned me before, then I will require renewed health in order to do that. So, Father, I am making this petition to you with the promise that if you restore my health, I will serve you. I will return to the areas of service that you gave to me before this illness came to me. Because if you're not committed to returning to the work that God has called you to, is there any good reason why he ought to heal you, why he ought to answer that particular request? Now, I know there are those in our day who teach that it's not God's will for anybody to be sick. I've noticed that all of those who teach that eventually get sick and die, every one of them. Just give it enough time, and they're going to succumb to death just like all the rest of us. No, obviously, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that it is not God's will for his children to become sick. What Bible are you reading, for goodness sakes? I mean, I could, I could pull so many examples out of the Bible that tell us that that is not so. 
God gives health when it serves his purpose. We thank him for it. God restores health from serious illnesses when it serves his purpose. We thank him for that. God brings illness to alter our circumstances, to change our assignments, to change our our areas of service for him, which does not mean that we cannot serve him. We can always serve him. If we are confined to a bed, we can serve him there. What can I do there? You can pray. That's a great area of ministry. Oh, how we need more people who are faithfully praying. You can witness to those who come to see you, medical personnel and others who visit you. You can talk to them. Sometimes our effectiveness as a servant of Jesus Christ is more fruitful during times of illness than it is during times of health. But the point is that we should learn from Jesus that when we have a petition for the Heavenly Father, in our minds we should link that petition to a divinely revealed purpose, or at least, since we don't know God's mind perfectly like Jesus does, and like Jesus did when he prayed, then at least we can link it to something that could very well be a divinely revealed purpose, and thereby demonstrating that our highest goal in making this request is the honor and glory of God. And that's the point. That's the point. Our prayers should always relate to a divinely revealed purpose, and many of them, many of our petitions, should relate to the divinely revealed purpose of redemption, as Christ did here in verse 2. As you have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so Christ is praying that the Father will glorify him upon the cross to bring the final culmination to his lifelong work of redemption for the purpose of saving sinners. And we can make our petitions in the light of that very same purpose, if we will think about it. So we are praying for, again, so many of our requests have to do with illnesses, which is a reminder that we live in bodies of flesh and decay. We are still under the curse. Our bodies are not intended to last forever. Ever since Adam fell in the garden, Human bodies have come into this world with, a, with an expiration date. Only God knows the exact date, but every human being has a body that is going to give, give way to death. It's going to wear out. Parts are going to fail. That's just the way it is. It's that way for everyone. And so we often are praying for health issues because there are so many of them. (laughs) I mean, 
every one of us have health issues from time to time, and some a great many. Some of the other petitions we make that have to do with temporal and physical needs are not quite as universal. When there is a need in the area of finances, somebody loses their job, somebody has a financial need, we often pray about that. But I can't say that that is going to happen to everybody, but I can say almost with 100% degree of certainty that illness is going to be a condition which every single individual is going to share in. Some will have much healthier lives than others, but eventually everybody's going to have an illness. And eventually everybody's going to have a serious illness, unless, of course, they're taken out of this world by a car accident or something of that kind. My father, who lived to age 95 and was still very active at age 95, was working out in the yard every day, virtually, for some time during every day, because he enjoyed it so much, was bitten by a mosquito, and he... he um, that mosquito gave him lacrosse encephalitis, a very rare condition. I'd never heard of it until it happened to him. And within about a week, he was, he was home with the Lord very, very quickly. He had some health problems, but nothing that really <laughs> hindered him much or slowed him down much. He had an amazingly strong physique, but eventually a serious illness came and took his life. That's one experience, one observation I've had in my life, and that's the truth. Even the healthiest people eventually have some kind of, of health problem. We don't say that in terms of um, financial needs. Some people seem to go through life and never really have any kind of significant financial need, but there are plenty of others who do. But there are some people will probably never pray for in that area. Some people go through life and never experience the death of a child. That's not going to happen to everybody. It is going to happen to some people. It is going to happen probably to quite a few people over the course of life. But it's not going to be something that will happen to everybody. But illness, we pray for illnesses so very, very often. Somebody said that the average church prayer meeting sounds like an organ recital, <laughs> as we talk about this person and what organ they're, they're dealing with that is failing, and that person and what organ they're dealing with that is failing. And it often is that way. But now here's what I'm trying to get to. We need to be careful to always relate these requests to a spiritual dimension, a spiritual purpose, and salvation— the redemption of sinners should be a prominent purpose that we can link these things to. Somebody has a financial need. That financial need may have come into that family, a family that has some unconverted people. So we would pray, we could pray, Lord, please supply this need, and in doing so, show your goodness, show your power, Show what kind of God you are to those in this family who are outside of Christ. 
bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Use this act of goodness as you answer this request to bring them to repentance and faith. You see, everything that we pray about should be linked to something of that nature. How do I know? Because I'm studying the prayer of Christ. That's the way he prayed. He linked his petitions to spiritual dimensions, spiritual needs, spiritual progress, spiritual accomplishments. And so he prayed. I'm going back to the beginning of the prayer, Father. The hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, isn't this interesting? This, this uh, statement of Christ also provides a definition of eternal life. If someone asked you, what is eternal life? How would you answer that question? You would likely say, it is life that is eternal. <laughs> it is life that has no end. Everything in our experience is temporal, and life upon the earth always has an end. Every now and then we read about somebody who has gone past 100 years of age and is still amazingly active. I, I read those things, too, with, with, with uh, great interest and amazement. Once in a while you find somebody like that, over 100 years of age and still active, still working, still exercising, still able to do things that, that many 70-year-olds uh, are no longer able to do. Quite amazing, but they do die, don't they? Every now and then we hear about somebody somewhere, maybe in Japan or someplace like that, that has reached the age of 115 or 116 before they died. That is very unusual. And in some of those cases, it's even questioned whether the claim to that age can be documented. Sometimes it's a questionable claim. But anyway, that, that beyond the point. But even so, if somebody lives to be 115, if somebody lives to be 120, they are going to die, aren't they? We're all going to die. That's physical life. That's earthly life. That's the life that we are given with our physical birth, our first birth. It always has an end for everybody. It always has an end eventually, but eternal life has no end. Now, that's the way we would probably define eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is life that never ends, life that is never going to be interrupted by death, life that is never going to be taken away by death or by anything else. It is life that is forever and forever and forever. It is life that will last as long as God lasts. And of course, he is eternal. He had no beginning. None of us can say that. But we can say that because of the eternal life, which is according to Peter, is, is divine life that is, that is infused into us with a new birth, that we are going to live forever, like 
God himself. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm not saying that we are going to become little gods or anything like that. That's heresy. And some people have made that erroneous statement. But that is not the, the case. But eternal life is life without interruption ever. But that's not the way Jesus defines it. That's what I'm getting to here. Let's notice what he said. And you have given him, Christ, authority over all flesh, or as you have given him, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. What is that? That's what we're wondering. How do you define eternal life? Well, here's how Jesus defined it. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus defined eternal life in terms of our relationship with God the Father. And when when the Bible uses the word know, it usually has a much deeper meaning than we normally attach to it. We, we tend to think in terms of that which is cognitive, that which is mental, that which is the, the knowledge about someone. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. To know God, to know his son Jesus Christ, is to know them in an intimate, ongoing relationship. It has to do with relationship, and it has to do with something more than information about them. It has to do with a communing relationship with them, and that's eternal life. Now, for those who have eternal life, that will never end, but the, mo the most important thing about eternal life is that in eternal life, we come to know God himself whom we can never know apart from the new birth. Not really. We can know things about him, but we can't know him in the way that Jesus is talking about here. We can't know God in a way that is the essence of salvation. But the essence of salvation is knowing God. And so that leads me to ask the question, do you know God in that way? Do you know God in a close relationship? Do you know God in a close ongoing fellowship? Do you know God in a deeper relationship that defies or, or exceeds, I should say, that, that rises above mere knowledge about him? I'm not talking about reading a theology book about all the attributes of God, which is a wonderful thing to do. I would, I would highly recommend it. And that should help you if you know God, to know him better and better and better. That's what I think we're going to be doing in throughout all eternity. What, what can we be doing with God in heaven that won't become boring? Well, I can assure you, nobody there is going to become bored. And one of the things we're going to do is delve deeper into our knowledge, our intimate knowledge, our, our, our relationship with God that can never be exhausted because God is not finite like we are. God is infinite. We'll never get to a full knowledge of him. We'll never understand him completely. When, when a million years have passed, it will still be accurately said that God's ways are above our ways. 
that his understanding is still far greater than ours. We cannot begin to comprehend the greatness of our God, but the essence of eternal life is, as it were, like jumping into the ocean of his infinite greatness and experiencing it to a greater degree as we, we might say, as we swim in this ocean of his infinitude. Now, I say again, do you know God in that way? And I would also say, do you desire to know God in that way? Does it interest you to get to know God better and better and better? Does it interest you to commune with him on a very intimate level? There's, there's several relationships, or several ways the relationship of a believer to God is described in the Bible to give us some idea of what this is about. The idea that we who are born-again believers are the bride of Christ, and we're joined to him in an intimate relationship that is suggested by the marriage relationship that is suggested by the bridegroom relationship, which, again, isn't really, doesn't scratch the surface of what this spiritual relationship is all about, but it does point to something more than, than casual or superficial. It points to something that is very intimate and very desirable, and that's the point. I'm afraid one of the problems with the... Um, what should I say, the sexual revolution and the cheapening of, of sexual relationships in our day is that it's very uncommon now, unfortunately, for people to enter into marriage without having had prior sexual relationship. And that's a pity because in God's design, the man and the man, yes, and the woman. It's not that the, the woman should be a virgin and the man shouldn't be. That's the idea that some people have. The man and the woman should be virgins before marriage, at least their first marriage. Now, if their spouse dies and they enter in a second marriage, obviously this won't be the case. But in their, shall we call it their, their youthful marriage, they should enter into that relationship with out having had sexual experience, but with a great desire for it, right? That would be one of the purposes for getting married, to be able to experience this side of life that God has created us for, but God has instructed that that should only be experienced within the marriage relationship. And so every young man should be eager to find a good, godly bride to be able to experience this delightful delightful activity that God created us to experience within the bonds of marriage. And every, every bride likewise should be eager for that. I'm looking forward to experiencing this, knowing that it's going to take some... some uh, 
work to, because until you do experience it, there are going to be elements of it that are going to have to be be worked out, as you know. But but I'm looking forward to that because I know that God has designed this for for most people. It isn't his purpose that every person be married, but he's designed this for most people. And it's a delightful, delightful part of life that God has, has designed us for. And I'm looking forward to getting into it with great eagerness. And it is something that I will never, hopefully, if things are going well in the marriage as they ought to, if it's a godly marriage, it's something that I will never get tired of or not want to continue. I'll always want to experience it more and more. And that's the way we should experience our relationship with God. Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.